Hello, everyone. I am your host, Alfie, and I would like to welcome you to this edition of Inside Nearshoring. Today, we're going to have a very interesting guest. Uh, this guest goes by the name of Dorit Salas. She is the Managing Director of the JCC. That's the Joint Chamber of Commerce for Switzerland, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and the South Caucasus. So we have a lot to discuss, and uh, stay tuned. I think we're going to have a pretty interesting conversation. Dorit, uh, welcome to Inside Near Shoring. I appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us. And um, you know, before we really get into everything, uh, I, I, after talking to you, you have a very interesting background, you know, which is one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on with us. So it would be great if you, know, you could let the viewers know just a bit about yourself and um, you know, how you came to, to be where you are and give us a little insight to how, how you're doing over there. Right. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Alfie. It's a real honor to be to be interviewed by you. So my name is Dorit Salas, and I'm the managing director of the Joint Chamber of Commerce, Switzerland, Eastern Europe, non-EU, Central Asia, South Caucasus. Um, I guess I'll talk a little more about that afterwards, but just a bit about me. I was born in South Africa, uh, immigrated to the U.S., and uh, uh, lived and worked there, went to university there, and then um, I got a job at a big uh, company, electrical engineering company in, um, in Switzerland, and that's what brought me to Switzerland. I've been in Switzerland for um, over 15 years. I am also a Swiss citizen now. I was going to say you're um, a local, basically. <laughs> I'm a local, uh, but I have to say that, you know, one is always a little bit foreign, even, you know, even when one is at home in a place. And, um, you know, what I like about Switzerland is the fact that it's a very international environment. Um, so, academically, my background, I have a PhD in sociology and my focus was on Russian society, which is a good connection with the work I do today. I also have an MBA in international management and finance, so everything comes nicely together within the framework of my chamber work, which brings, which is, brings together business from uh, different countries, trying to find uh, opportunities for partnership into, uh, in, the, in, in terms of foreign direct investment and also trade. All right. So uh, in a sense, I feel like I've come full circle. Great. Uh, well, well, by well, finding myself where I am today. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you, you said that and, and told us more about yourself. And, but the fact that you also touched a little bit on the JCC and um, from, from our understanding, the JCC has a lot of different elements, a lot of different industries that, that you're working in. And a lot of people just may not be aware of all the work that the JCC does. Um, so with that in mind, I, you know, I'd love if you could just go a little bit more into detail about the various industries that you're working with and um, even perhaps on uh, how nearshoring uh, may, of course, uh, come into play with the JCC and its members and, and your thoughts on that. Yes, yes. So to give you a little uh, profile of JCC, uh, our mandate is really to support Swiss companies that are interested to do business in 
the Eastern European sphere, Central Asia and South Caucasus. We actually uh, try and promote Swiss business in 13 countries, which is quite a big ask because each country, I mean, there are of course a lot of similarities, but then again, each country is, uh, has its own specificities. Um, our members are uh, mainly Swiss companies, small, medium-sized enterprises, but also big multinationals in a, a broad spectrum of sectors, which in a sense reflect the makeup of the Swiss economy. So uh, we have uh, many companies in manufacturing fields, in um, machine building, in um, precision tool building. Um, we also have companies in pharmaceuticals and chemicals. Uh, we uh, have companies in consumer goods, in um, renewable energy, in uh, the engineering sphere. We have a lot, of, uh, lot more IT companies these days. We have uh, service providers, also banks, a lot of financial service providers, um, uh, legal, legal firms, uh, consultancies, uh, offering all kinds of technical support to companies that are interested to enter the Eastern European sphere um, require expert uh, advice. So, as I said, you know, in a way we are sort of a snapshot, our members are a snapshot of, um, of uh, the key, the leading sectors in, in, in the Swiss economy. Okay, well, I, I feel like I should have asked what industries you're not in, because you, you guys do a little bit of everything. So, um, thank you for, for giving us, you know, more information about that. And to, well, to me, it seems as though... Um, even though you have so many different industries you work with, and I, obviously this is called you know, inside nearshoring, that I think a lot of people consider nearshoring to be more IT related, but I think it, sh I think it shows it's not necessarily the case that um, nearshoring can mean a lot of different things, and sometimes this goes by a different name. You're absolutely right about that. In fact, that's also been our... Um uh, that's also been our observation. One automatically thinks, ah, you know, it's getting your software developed and your processes maintained in another country which has the resources mm -hmm. and maybe it's more cost effective. But, you know, in a sense, it can be done in, in traditional manufacturing spheres as well. In fact, yesterday I was just talking to a representative of an embassy from one country and they were telling me how a Swiss... Uh, a Swiss company that makes trans like buses, right, uh, makes part of their um, part of their the 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 carros, the the, mm. the actual frame of the bus yeah. in, in Belarus. Let me not be. <laughs> it is there's no secret about this. And then they bring those parts back to Switzerland and they assemble the whole bus in Switzerland. So. This is obviously, this is a model that globalization has made very common. Uh, we see a lot of manufacturing production in 
further markets, let's say China is a classic case, right? Also India for certain things, call centers and so on. Um, but I think so what is maybe more um, nowadays something that's becoming more popular is uh, the idea of bringing these operations closer to her, i.e. the nearshoring, right? Rather than the far shoring. Yeah. Um, and of course, it brings with it a lot of advantages, which, which I'm sure you are aware of. Definitely. And, and I've always felt that um, when it comes to Switzerland in particular, uh, Switzerland's very unique. In, in, uh, and of course, you can say even more so than, than I could. I've only been you know, a few times, right? But um, Switzerland is so diverse. And right. when I think um, globalization and I think nearshoring or offshoring or w whatever you, know, you want to call it, um, I do tend to think of Switzerland because there's so many influences where you have, you know, if you're in Zurich or Bern, you're speaking German. If you're down in um, Lausanne or Geneva, you're speaking French. You have the Italian speaking regions and uh, you tend to be kind of in the middle of everything. So I would, I would assume that there would be some just naturally that there would be ties to a lot of different countries just based on the history of, of, of Switzerland. Um, well, do you agree? Have you found anything similar to that? Do you think Switzerland is just maybe more open to globalization versus maybe some other countries or regions? Or do you think it's kind of the same across the board with Europe in general? Hmm. Um, uh, as you know, Switzerland's very small, right? It has a population of 8.2 million, yet it's one of the, um, I would say, in the top 20 most uh, prosperous economies in the world. And one reason this is the case is that there is so much foreign trade export operations in other countries. Um, two out of five Swiss francs are earned abroad. Mm. And um, this is a figure that not only reflects gross exports, but also the added value generated in Switzerland with goods and services due to this uh, fact. Um, so Switzerland has to, in order to survive and thrive, look to uh, foreign markets, look to production, producing in foreign markets, to exporting in foreign markets. It's, it's, it's a question of uh, economic necessity. Um, and the Swiss have, although maybe in certain uh, areas they have a reputation of being more conservative, mm -hmm. they have been fairly, how shall I say, adventurous in their um, entry into different markets. I mean, you will find the big Swiss multinationals yeah. in most markets of the world, you know, and also in markets where at a time uh, that were not that uh, well-known, not that accessible. Uh, so I do think that the Swiss in that respect are very open and they have certainly blazed certain trails. One, one market, let me give as an example, is Uzbekistan, right? Mm -hmm. Now, Uzbekistan is 
on an, on an upward curve, reforms yeah. were introduced by uh, President Mirzoyev recently, and this has really created a lot of awareness uh, about the economic opportunities in that market. But you know that the Swiss textile industry has had a presence in Uzbekistan for 25 years. Just to give you an example, they are very well established, they're very well entrenched, and now they can build on that precedent yeah. Uh, uh, in, uh, in this current very uh, exciting environment. So Switzerland has done that, you know, yeah. take Nestle, take Novartis, this is, this is the Swiss yeah. way. Uh, of course, it's not just big multinationals now, what we're seeing is also uh, mid-sized enterprises that are are open to exploring other markets uh, and, and setting up operations there. Yeah. So the Swiss, this is in a sense, one of the secret of their economic success. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and you know, the, the Swiss tend to be, or seem to be a little bit more low key about things, right? And not, not necessarily uh, bragging about it or um, saying too much about it. And then you turn around and you find out that there are Swiss companies and multinationals, uh, even even in Ukraine, who are you know twenty years or so working, say in IT or banking and things of that nature. So um, it is it is very unique, and I would assume you get to see a lot of that with your work with the JCC. And I suppose one question I have is, with your work with the JCC, um, do you typically have members that come to you? basically knowing what they want and saying, look, connect us, or is it more of like a mentorship where they just, they're interested in the organization and then you're able to look at them and say, hey, these are great opportunities for you uh, being a Swiss company, say in Eastern Europe or Central Asia or the South Caucasus. Right. Um, you know, it's hard to draw a general rule, but I think that when companies come to us and are interested to join our organization as members, they already have an idea that they want, that there is an interest in the region that we represent. They, they've probably discussed internally the fact that these are, let's say, Central Asia has a series of very interesting markets okay. that they are interested to, to learn more about in order to assess how they might want to advance in those markets, how they want to sort of develop their strategic approach in those markets. Um, we provide them a lot of information that they might not be able to get online. We also provide them with access to partners on the ground to contact because that's one of the value added aspects of what we do. We build up a vast network of business representatives of organizations, but also private companies in these markets, because this is a critical aspect of doing business in a market is having a partner, having a reliable partner on the ground. And when, the company does not yet have a sense of, you know, the market itself or connections there. They need a little assistance in that yeah. respect. We do not 
help them develop their strategy per se, we might flag certain markets that are interesting. Why don't we help them in the nuts and bolts of developing their strategy? Because we have members that provide those kinds of services as part of their professional portfolio. And we do not want to compete with our own members. We could never do it as well as our members do or devote that is their specialty. So what we try to do is when there is a more, a deeper knowledge required, we try to uh, channel a company that is a member to another expert within our network for more uh, in-depth, for more in-depth strategy development and, 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 you know, everything related to building, you know, an approach in a market. Okay. So, you know, we're kind of like this hub in a way, a yeah. hub with lots of information, with, with very good contacts, with know-how about these markets, and we try to sort of orient companies in the right direction to take the next step. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you can only do so much on LinkedIn, right? So you have to have some people you trust. That, that can actually help you and guide you. And it seems as though the JCC offers that. And with what you were, what you were saying, you, you kind of touched on, on something that, um, well, that I, I'd like to get into. You touched on trust, right? And um, there's something that's fascinated me. And as an American, right, uh, we see things back in the States and you say, okay, you, you want to buy American, made in America, but we all know everything's made in China. Uh, we just, we just know it is. So, um, I guess the question for me, and this may be controversial, so be careful. (laughs) I know a lot of Swiss companies that, that near shore, but don't necessarily want to make that public. And I found out that there's a lot that goes into being Swiss made. And I've seen the, the brand and the site and the companies there. And, you know, I'd love to, to know your opinion on, well, one, obviously, it'd be great if you tell us more about what Swiss Made really is, right? What that really means, if you can give some insight to that. And if you've seen that being Swiss Made makes a huge difference with the, the, the companies that you're working with, because you're doing a lot more in terms of, say, international you know, trade and industry, which touches into to nearshoring. But um, I'd love to know your thoughts on, hey, what is Swiss made? And do you, is it that important to, to, to Swiss companies to work with other Swiss companies that are Swiss made? Mm-hmm. So what is Swiss made? Big question. Um, I can certainly say, and this is also from the perspective of the markets that we promote and companies, etc., and governments in those markets, that Swissness stands for quality. Mm-hmm. It might not be something that cheap, but it, it might cost a little more, but you know you're getting top quality. And so anything with an, the Swiss imprimatur on it already suggests that you're dealing with a good quality product or service, right? Now, 
what this means technically is that a certain amount of product content has to be uh, manufactured in Switzerland, right? But it doesn't have to be everything. Um, the key area, the key area that companies, I think, are very hesitant about nearshoring, offshoring, sharing with partners in other countries is that the high tech or the 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 um, let's see the uh, let's say the um, uh, added value the higher value expertise that is inherent in a product so what they would do is manufacture maybe some very generic elements of the product in, a, in a, another market, in another country, near it near or far, but that added know-how, that specific expertise is something that is guarded, uh, that is guarded mm-hmm. and that is added in Switzerland. So I think that that's kind of how they do it. But I can tell you something, even uh, classical and traditional products such as Swiss watches, uh-huh. you know, the movements, the pieces, some of them are manufactured in India, ah. some of them are manufactured in China, but the assembly and those specific uh, uh, elements of the product that require, you know, uh, how shall I say, that the prior that special know-how are, are, are completed in Switzerland. Okay. So I guess, you know, there is that hesitation because from the market's perspective, from the consumer perspective, companies don't want consumers to think that actually this isn't uh, produced in no. Switzerland. You know, it loses that... Uh, aura of quality but I think they have found a kind of model that integrates both both elements gotcha okay all right well thank you for for that Uh, because it's one of those things where obviously when you think Switzerland you do think quality right and um, whether it's I'm a pocket watch guy myself you know you can't you can't see now I have like a case with pocket watches off to the side but um, you know, I, I of course love the the craftsmanship and and, and how things are produced in Switzerland. And you know, kind of on a, on a side note, because this is really more of a more of a personal, interesting question. Uh, what are the things that you enjoy the most about Switzerland that um, that are not uh, cliche? Because I, if I say Switzerland, especially to other Americans, they think um, watches, banks, cheese, good chocolate. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Which are all good things. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm always curious um, because I, I don't meet many people um, such as yourself who uh, are in Switzerland, you know, been there for years, but weren't born there, you know, relocated and they were born yeah. somewhere else and moved over. So um, it, it'd be great if you could just, you know, a few words on what you find the, the most enjoyable, I suppose, um, aspect of Switzerland. Well, um, one thing I can say about Switzerland is an amazing country. And aside from the cheese, the chocolate, the watches, the banks, and the incredible, incredible natural environment. Mm -hmm. Why is Switzerland amazing? Because 
you feel democracy at work in this country in a really, in a hands-on way. Um, it's, you know, democracy is a messy business, as we know, from many countries, and that's why it already raises questions about how viable is it. Yeah. But I see it working extremely well in Switzerland because the Swiss have an incredible sense of civic responsibility and also an understanding that of, of the concept of compromise, right? You know, um, there are five or six parties in the Swiss parliament. Some are quite radically right. There are some are more left-wing. There are lots center, moderate. And there is a constant conversation between all these different points of view. And there is the highest value is placed on listening, understanding, analyzing, maybe opposing, but then compromising, gotcha. right? That's number one. Number two, as I said, there's a heightened sense of civic responsibility mm -hmm. in Switzerland. That is why you can travel in a public transportation and very often there won't be a conductor coming to check yeah. that you've got your ticket, but everybody buys their ticket. Of course, you know, they don't want to get fined and, you know, there's a sort of a shame in being, mm -hmm. you know, suddenly discovered to yeah. not pay ticket, but it's more than that. It's a sense that there are rules. We play by the rules. It is our duty as responsible citizens and the state gives us benefits back. Gotcha. Because of this, Switzerland is also an incredibly well-functioning country. I mean, the basics that you need to live a decent and dignified life yeah. as a human being are in place. The, there's public transportation, things run on time. Uh, there's health insurance, it's not the cheapest in the world, but it's there. Um, you know, uh, what else can I say? Uh, there is, the environment is clean. Um, you know, you can, if something, if you don't like something, there is a channel where you can express your discontent and if enough people are, agree with you, it can be brought to the vote. All those things from things running on time and knowing that a bus will come when it says it comes to, to being able to go to a doctor. These are very basic things, but these are critical things mm. for people to live a decent, dignified life. And when I look around me today and listen, I am a, I, I'm, I'm an American patriot. Yeah. You know? I love America. America is an amazing country, but what I see today is that citizens, average citizens struggle, right? And they struggle because they don't have these basic things that should be a matter of course in any country, especially a country that calls itself a democracy. Yeah. So from that perspective, I think that Switzerland is amazing. Mm -hmm. It has a lot, I think, to, to, to teach, but it, it is a country that can be l looked at and that other countries can learn from in many respects. Gotcha. So that is 
my big love, why I really love Switzerland, but I can also tell you the hiking in Switzerland is fabulous. Okay, and there you I discovered it when I came here. So I've become, I'm a real city person, but spending time in Switzerland makes you <clears throat> develop a great appreciation for nature. And I've learned to really love being out in the mountains, being out in nature. It is a wonderful privilege okay. to have. Awesome. I'm going to have to spend some more time in Switzerland. I'm, I'm there often. I've been to some interesting spots from, yeah. you know, Uzville to Zurich to Bern to some places I can't pronounce just because, well, my accent is probably too American to pronounce them. <laughs> so, but, but still, you're right. Lovely, lovely country. Um, and it seems as though a lot to aspire to. And, you know, th that, that kind of leads me to another question. Um, uh, when I think of, or I tend to believe that many uh, Central and Western European um, countries tend to kind of see Eastern Europe as just kind of this one homogenous zone, right? Um, especially, and I look at it as Europeans or Western Europeans, Central Europeans, they kind of see uh, the Eastern European area the same way that Americans see Europeans that don't speak English, right? As in everyone's just, just the same. It's just you're either British or, or you're, you know, you might as well be Italian or Spanish because we just don't, we don't get it, right? So uh, just out of curiosity, um, what would you say is the, the view that many Swiss industries or Swiss companies have on Eastern Europe, um, Eastern, Europe, Eastern Europe specifically, just because it's so close, and with your work with the JCC, uh, I would assume that you've seen a lot of um, different opinions and you've probably heard a lot of different things, some things that may be based in fact, some are just, you know, who knows, media, whatever it is. So it would be great if you could give some insight into that, as in how do uh, Swiss companies in particular see Eastern Europe? Um, you know, what I found also about the Swiss is they're well-traveled. And they're, because they're a small country and they're surrounded by many other countries, there is, there is sort of an inherent awareness of cultural difference, uh, you know, from linguistic, uh, God knows, uh, yeah, linguistic mainly, but also um, maybe religious in certain senses. I mean, they know, they know their environment and their broader environment, they, they, you know, you can travel by car even to Eastern mm. Europe and that. So I must say that there is a more nuanced awareness of the different countries and an understanding and a knowledge of the specifics, the historical background, the political, the economic. They don't look upon Eastern Europe uh, as a homogeneous mass, let us say. They're aware, they're aware. You know, the further you go, maybe the harder it gets. Central Asia, again, people have been there, people are well-traveled, and there is a growing awareness 
of the cultural differences, the nuances uh, between the different republics, for yeah. example. And of course, the same goes for South Caucasus, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, people know. Um, so there is that understanding. And because of it, I think there is a desire to really familiarize themselves with the specifics of the particular market before they might take that step to go into it. There is an awareness that Kazakhstan is certainly not Uzbekistan, yeah. nor is Kyrgyzstan like Tajikistan. There might be similarities, you know, because of the historically, they were yeah. part of the same union. Mm -hmm. But these are different cultures, different approaches, and I think there is an awareness of that. I think over time the awareness has grown as globalization has also taken hold and also this communication and media and social media is a lot more widespread. And I think that could also be the reason that Swiss companies more often than not succeed in these markets because there is awareness of the difference, of that nuance different than one has to understand and learn to work with. Okay, and, and I would assume that, and thank you for that, and I, I would assume that being as diverse as Switzerland is, I think that kind of trains people to be aware of the differences because there are so many subtle differences, even in Switzerland, right? You can get on a train for two hours and now you're speaking another language, right? Totally. In the same country. Totally. And people grow up uh, learning as a matter of course, being able to speak two, three, or even four languages. So, you know, by definition, they're in an environment where there is a lot of cultural, linguistic, etc., difference. So there is a, a much greater openness awareness of this. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, I'm always a little bit jealous of the, the, the languages that everyone speaks in, in Switzerland. I, I, I basically speak English and bad English. <laughs> and, that, and that's about it. But, but I'm, I'm working on my Ukrainian, so I will, we'll get there at some point. Good. Good for you. No, no, absolutely. Listen, it is, it is very, very admirable that people speak speak uh, so many languages. Also yeah. little kids, they're like bilingual many of them. It's amazing. And I think it's an enrichment and, uh, you know, degrees, you know, having degrees, university degrees is one thing, but I can tell you after working uh, in a big multinational company, I saw how important having uh, different languages is and a facility with language, even though English, of course, is the business, the international business language, but still, it helps a lot. I mean, you yourself know probably being in Ukraine, you can see people just melt when you no. make the effort to speak their language. Oh, right? oh definitely. It, it's, I, um, you know, my friends get annoyed because I don't have to do that much to be impressive. <laughs> they, they, they say, if I, if I even try, it's amazing. If I, <laughs> just, and then they switch to English, you know, just for me. But, you know, but they're like, good attempt, good try. Now let's switch to English and, you know, so we can actually discuss something. But you know, I mean, a lot about business is, as you say, building trust, building connections, building relationships, especially in these markets. You know, it has a very strong personal dimension. 
you know, exactly. finding a partner, building that trust, building that cooperation. And I tell you, if you can, you know, speak the language, mm. it, it, it has a, an enormous impact. Aside from the fact that you will also be able to, I think, manage your teams more effectively. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, or, or at least finding a common thread, right? Absolutely. Where you can kind of connect, right? Um, and, and, you know, and, and speaking on that, you know, you mentioned, again, something very interesting. You touched on relationships. Yes. Right? And, and that's something that I feel that most of the time, whether it's um, nearshoring uh, in particular or any industry, the success really, you can really gauge whether or not it's going to be a success based on how strong the relationship is built. And it takes time, but of course you have to work and, and build that relationship. And yeah. when it comes to those relationships, um, what advice would you give companies in regard to building those relationships in the, the industries that, that you're familiar with? Um, and this can be either way. I mean, maybe you have advice for um, countries or companies in Eastern Europe or the South Caucasus or Central Asia in regard to working with Swiss companies? Or maybe you have advice, um, vice versa, Swiss companies, what does it take to build that relationship with these other um, companies in these industries in these various regions of the world? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I mean, that is almost the key, you know, of course your product has to be good and there's got to be a demand for it, whatever it is, but Beyond that, it's really, you know, it's really about finding the right partner. Mm -hmm. Understanding the market is one thing. You can sit at your desk in your home country and understand the market to a certain yeah. extent, but afterwards it's going out there and finding the right partner, a reliable local partner, and who is well networked in the market who, and and uh, who you can who you can uh, trust how do you build trust i yeah. think you you maintain a certain openness you maintain an openness to the way things are done in that country i mean each country has its modus operandi uh, in general also in uh, in terms of business, it, it, it might not be the way it's done in Switzerland, right? Concepts of time are different. Concepts oh. of, you know, agreement uh, can, uh, are different. One has to maintain an open mind and a certain degree of flexibility uh, in trying to understand and somehow accommodate those differences. I think that's very important. And uh, to also to give time to building the personal side of the relationship, something that in Switzerland is not made and also in the US is not necessarily done, but you know, socializing yeah. with your business partner is a very important uh, ingredient in building a, a good and solid working relationship. As we, as we discussed before, language can only yeah. help. Um, it, it, it is desirable to speak at least a little bit of the language of the, of the local, that is spoken in the local market. So that is also important. 
Having said all that, I think it's also important to know where your own boundaries are. Hmm. And um, one can go to maybe another extreme when one is trying so much to somehow adapt oneself to the local processes, the local way of doing business. That's sometimes when one runs into trouble because it can, you know, in certain cases be a violation of the corporate principles of gotcha. your home country. So I think one has to find that balance between flexibility, openness, and uh, adaptability, but also knowing where, you know, where the boundaries are for you and which lines you will not cross. That is gotcha. very important too. And at the end of the day, from what I, I have heard yeah. uh, from companies and from managers that if you hold your ground in certain areas that are on principle, uh, you know, immutable, let us say, mm -hmm. eventually, more often than not, you will be respected for that. And, gotcha. you, and, and the counterpart will work with you accordingly. Okay. And, and, and you know, it, it also, it's also interesting because a lot of what you said also comes back to one of the interesting things you mentioned about Switzerland, compromise, right? Yeah. People know how to compromise. People are actually engaged in, in, in compromise in their conversations. And it sounds as though that's, that's also part of doing good business is understanding where to compromise and where not to compromise right. and doing things that way. Uh, that's, that's a good way of framing it, yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Now, I, I, I and this can this leads me to another question I have here. Um, you know, <clears throat> you've been with the. Well, actually, how long have you been with the JCC? Well, uh, it's, it's sort of uh, since two thousand and eleven. I actually, in the framework of the previous company uh, where I managed the communications and networks, mm -hmm. I also did work with JCC, but. You can say, I mean, you can say that from 2011 to today, I've been the managing director. Gotcha. Okay. So, so even with that, I mean, that's that's almost almost 20 years. I mean, I mean, well, not almost 20 years, but almost 10 years. Um, yeah. And I'm assuming that you've probably seen a lot of change even during that period, right? Mm -hmm. um, could you give maybe a bit of insight into what type of change you're seeing? say, in, in the industries you're dealing with, in uh, the, the openness, maybe you see more towards IT, maybe there's more towards other industries. I, yeah. I'd be, be great to learn or, or hear a bit more about that. Right. Well, um, I think what I've discovered over time is, you know, there were the typical markets that uh, companies were interested in, the, the largest one uh, being Russia. So there was always that. But I think over time I've seen a growing interest in other markets that weren't traditionally in the uh, scope of Swiss companies. These are Central Asian markets. These are South Caucasus markets. Um, why? Because maybe, um, again, we mentioned this before, the world is just becoming more open. Yeah. You know, globalization, yeah. there's more immediate access to information. But I think the countries themselves have also been working hard to build themselves up 
uh, as uh, destinations for foreign direct investment. They've become a lot more sophisticated in marketing themselves. Mm -hmm. They've also, many of them that maybe here, that were maybe uh, focused on one or two sectors have become, uh, are engaging in strategies of diversification. So this creates more opportunities uh, for companies in different sectors. And also there is a growing sensitivity towards uh, uh, introducing regulatory changes mm -hmm. that are conducive to FDI, you know. Gotcha. And so from this perspective, the spectrum of markets has expanded. That's definitely something I can see. Also, uh, not just these big multinationals with tremendous resources and networks yeah. going out there, it's also small and medium-sized companies, yeah. you know, are, are, have started to explore and do business in these regions, in retail, but also in setting up manufacturing operations. That's something I see. Uh, now, in terms of the sectors, yeah. it's interesting, you, you mentioned it yourself, yes, there is a shift also. Of course, there's always that traditional manufacturing sector, but I see uh, a shift and a growth of interest in, uh, in the green sector. Green energy, yeah. renewable energy, mm. issues uh, surrounding waste management. This is all, this is all something that is becoming okay. a lot more, um, uh, how shall I say, a lot more uh, central. Yeah. Uh, also, of course, IT, digitization, uh, all aspects of that. And generally, I see a growth, you know, of interest from the service industry, you know, consultants, technical experts, uh, financial experts, lawyers, all of this. So service sector, green energy, digital, these are the sectors that have really taken off gotcha. in the last since I started young. And also new people are looking at new business models, which... Yeah yourself know you know now nearshoring uh is is just an example of that it's outsourcing it was offshoring uh now nearshoring there is an ongoing evaluation of models and looking at new models and mm. this is something that is, is very much a sign of the times yeah whereas in the past it was a much more static gotcha and, and it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, sign of the times. I guess we, we, I mean, we can't ignore the elephant in the room, right? Uh, COVID-19. So, so that has influenced things. And it'd be great to get, um, you know, just your take on, you know, how has COVID-19, in your opinion, shaped what a lot of your members are looking to do, say, now and in the near future? Because um, it, it is, from, from my perspective, I see that now digitalization is kind of being forced on, on people just because you, I mean, you have to uh, really be able to operate in the digital world, even with what we're doing now, you know, remotely here with, uh, with, with, with Zoom, right? Yeah. So it'd be great to just get your take on that. You know, how has COVID-19 um, affected or affected the plans of, say, some of your members and what you see as trends? Right. It, we're still with, we're still in it, so you know yeah. it's 
parties. So one thing I can definitely say is digitization has taken off. Mm. I think people are starting just in terms of their own internal business processes, they're starting to see that, you know, they have to have a very uh, developed digital platform and there has to be, uh, they have to be able to uh, keep the business running even if they can't be there in person. So there's de definitely that. Um, maybe the effect, there will also be effect on supply chains, you know. Um, maybe what we're going to see now is companies seeing the need to diversify their supply chains far more so they're not just dependent on one particular manufacturer in one country. Oh. Um, that is definitely something I can see. Um, stockpiling, I guess it depends. It depends on what kind of com company you're talking about. I mean, yeah. in consumer electronics, what good is stockpiling? Yeah, exactly. In case, you know, things change so quickly. But, you know, maybe it makes them more conservative in a way. You know, okay. um, maybe it's also going to make them for a while just maintain a holding pattern oh. rather than, you know, going ahead with plans to uh, set up operations or explore, yeah. uh, you know, doing business in new markets. Okay. I, you know, but um, so... That's the issue. I think there's going to be maybe more diversification. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one thing that I can imagine will be an outcome of this coronavirus because we've seen the dangers of relying on one market, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely, which is interesting. You know, more diversification for a country in Switzerland that's already very diverse. So it's going to be interesting to see what types of things come from this because I mean obviously there's going there will be tougher times even moving ahead but I do find it interesting to see you know what are going to be the new uh, innovations that come out of this and how many people are going to say be more aggressive in the market versus saying being more reserved and just waiting to see what happens right right and maybe people will look at new markets as well, yeah. you know, not the, the usual suspects. Yeah. What I've read is, for example, that uh, a lot of companies that have, um, that traditionally uh, outsourced uh, or, or got a lot of their products mm. or manufactured in China are now looking to Southeast Asia, mm. like to Vietnam, for example. So that could, that we could see a boom in other regions That's of true. the world That's as a result of this. Yeah. But I think it's going to take, I mean, things that we, companies are of course waiting to see how things shake out. What's, what's it going to be like, you know, until there's some kind of uh, uh, vaccine or something yeah. to slow the virus, everybody's going to maintain a holding pattern and try and just sort of tread water and keep things going as, as you know, in their current state. I think we'll know more in 22 or 23. That's when yeah. we'll see. But there's definitely going to be some kind of shift, right? Definitely, definitely. And, and I've seen it as well, whereas 
Now, um, previously, a lot of companies were not looking to work remotely, right? It yeah. was just why, we, especially if you're in certain industries, banking, for example. But yeah. now I see a lot more, a lot more companies, um, even those that are Swiss-based saying, you know what, we're already working remotely. Let's give it a try in another market and see what we can come up with. And, and that's where I see some interesting connections uh, with nearshoring because certain industries obviously are a bit uh, easier to fit within that model versus some of the other um, industries. So it, it seems as though it, there's going to be some interesting changes uh, coming up and some of them are already in the works. And um, with that being said, I often, I, well, I also wonder with the JCC, do you guys, are you planning any extensions into other territories or are you pretty set in, in, in where your, your market is now, you know, dealing with, you know, Switzerland, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, and of course the South Caucasus? Um, we, uh, we're not planning to expand, expand into any more markets. You know, I sit with my board and I'm like, oh my God, we have, to, oh, oh, do we have too many countries that we're planning <laughs> to take care of? I'm like, no, I think we're doing the right thing also because these countries are connected. They're mm -hmm. also, it's a re regional clusters. It's very yeah. important think not just in terms of the specific countries, but also to think more regionally how you can, you know, use one country as a kind of launching pad or a hub for to expand into uh, neighboring countries. We won't we won't be expanding into other countries, but what we certainly are doing, and I mean we like everybody else, we're putting a, a higher premium on digitalization now uh, until the end of 2020 all our activities will be digital. So we usually have uh, a big program of events, you know, face-to-face -face yeah. events. Everything is going to go online, which is great in the sense that it, it, it gives us access to a much larger audience mm -hmm. and also to speakers that are geographically far away, but, you mm -hmm. know, have a lot of very interesting content to bring to our events. So that's great. And from 2021, all, all things, uh, you know, in the hope that there will be some kind of control of the pandemic, we will be offering a hybrid model of uh, digital events, but also physical events. And I think this is an enrichment, to be honest. Uh, as I say, we reach more people, we can get more interesting content. So. Listen, it's an opportunity. We've got to yeah. grab it. Exactly. With all the downsides. Well, there you go. You got to got to take the good with the bad. But um, I, yeah, that's the only way to move forward. Too. Got to be creative. Yeah. And, yeah. and really try and build on, on on the current situation. Yeah, this seems like a time to start thinking outside the box, right? Indeed. This, yeah. If you've been holding on to something, this might be the time to actually move forward and give it a shot. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know this much better than me. Um, I think people, I mean, everybody has an iPhone these days and everybody yeah. uses email, but I think there was hesitation and fear surrounding the digital, uh, digital sphere, right? I yeah. think it's forcing people to go beyond that fear and really submerge themselves in, digital, in digitization and seeing and discovering all the opportunities it can offer. Gotcha. Okay. And, and then that, I think, is great advice 
for um, say your members, right? It's like now, hey, think outside the box. And even for those who may be watching, just wondering, hey, you know, is it is is it time? Is is it a good time to to try and do things with uh, nearshoring or um, yeah. joining, you know, joining organizations, right? I think now you're, you're seeing, and and this is something you could probably speak on more so than I could, is um, the uptick, so to speak, in people joining different organizations, right? Have you seen any increase in membership? Because I would think that now, if you can't necessarily just travel somewhere and meet people, then you would yeah. need some organization that you can trust that can make those digital connections for you. Yeah. Wow. Listen, you're hired as our marketing director. I wow. mean, that's a brilliant <laughs> case to make. That's a brilliant case to make for why one should join the Chamber of Commerce. Look, uh, you know, we're a member-based organization and that, uh, and that involves, you know, fees and, and so on. And what happens in these times of crises that companies look at their balance sheet and they start mm. to sort of remove all the luxuries, as it yeah. were. Now, in a country like Germany, being a member of the Chamber of Commerce is not a luxury. It is something that is a requirement. Gotcha. Uh, and it's not that, it's, that's not the Swiss way, you know. So, yeah. of course, every company has its, can make its own choice. So, I'm, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see what the reaction is. But I think you make an excellent case. Of, given that one cannot travel, to these countries and these markets. This is the next best thing, is joining, uh, being part of this network where you can already start to develop your relationships and, and, and your, business, your business opportunities. And uh, that is a very good reason for being part of, of JCC. Oh, well, there you go. Well. Let's see what happens. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and I hope that, um, you know, being here with me today can actually help improve that, right? I hope we can spread the word and, and send some more information out there and uh, bring some more members on board. Sure. It's a great opportunity. And, and I want to say, although most of our members are Swiss companies interested in outward bound business, we are most interested to have members from the countries like Ukraine, and the other countries in the region, because now also because we're much, we have a digital platform that is much more developed, mm -hmm. there is a way of really encouraging cross-border dialogue and uh, searching for opportunities uh, in both in, 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 in the different markets. Yeah. And, and, and we would very much welcome that. Great. I, mean, I, I kind of get the feeling now that in today's world, you know, the nearshoring is much nearer than people think, right? Now it's just getting on a computer and uh, having a conversation, developing, making deals, building connections. So I hope that a lot of people will realize, especially upon seeing this, that, well, from shore to shore, coast to coast, everyone is, is fairly closer than they think. Even if you're far away, even if you're in Japan or the U.S., Nowadays, with the uh, digitalization we've seen, we're a lot closer than people may think, not only from a distance point of view, but I think we also find that maybe even culturally, once you start to talk to people, people we're a lot, we, there's a lot more in common than there are differences. 
This is it. And I think that's exactly what uh, Swiss companies discover in, in, in these countries that they have a lot in common with their foreign partner. And that's the beauty of it, you know. We're all people at the end of the day. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so with that being said, um, I'm just going to ask just a few more questions and then I, I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> Thank you for, yeah. for taking the time. Um, but, but these questions have nothing to do with business. So it, it, yeah. e easy one, right? Uh, so, so since you're there in, in Switzerland and you're in Zurich, uh, what would you say is your, your favorite city in Switzerland, not Zurich? Not Zurich? Yeah. I have to say I love Bern. Bern is an exquisite city. It's not very big. It's beautifully situated on the Ara River and it has the most incredible old town. It's a medieval old town. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yeah. And, you know, for, for families, especially young families, it's like an idyllic place to raise kids. There's a lot of greenery. There's this wonderful river with its very unique characteristic of having a very strong current. So people yeah. jump in on one end with their clothes in a plastic uh, backpack and they, they're they go all the way down to the other end, they get out and they walk around and it's yeah. like one of these wonderful things. And then you have the beautiful Swiss Bundeshaus there on the hill and you have a lot of uh, beautiful old villas where many of the embassies are housed. It's a very international community yeah. so it really brings together the best of many worlds. Yeah. I, I really like it. I remember going to Bern and thinking, this can't, this is just, it looks too nice. It's almost too nice. It's so I just let's, let me see some. Maybe I need to put get some graffiti or something. It's almost too picturesque. But every every everywhere you walk around Bern, it's almost as if there's another opportunity to put something on Instagram. Right? It's just a, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's perfect in its own way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so and so another question is, um, what would you prefer um, in Switzerland, um, raclette or fondue? I shouldn't be saying this. I'm not a big, big fan of either. But if I have to, uh -oh. I, I need raclette. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. We might have to cut this part out if you're not a fan of cheese. Might have to cut it out. It's all. I love cheese, but cheese in that amount is uh -huh. gotcha. that, can, that can be somewhat problematic. Okay, and 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 on another Swiss note, do you have a favorite chocolate? Maybe a favorite chocolate brand that's the Swiss. Yeah, I do. I love Lederach. I love Lederach. Ah. I love their chocolate. It's just delicious. Uh, you know, what can I say? They also have this, you know, they have these big, big slabs and they will break a piece from it for you and, and, and sell it to you by weight. And they have wonderful flavors. So, and Lederach is not, it's not exported. It's yeah. something that is based in Switzerland, only for Switzerland. It's very special. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I agree. That's also my favorite chocolate. Really? So that every time I go, I, 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 I go in there and I, I don't even want to say how much I spend because it's, it, you know, it, but it's worth it. I'll put it that way. It's worth it to, to, to get yeah. that and bring it back because you can't, um, you, it's not exported, right? So you have to buy it there. So it's very special, but delicious. And it does make it unique as a gift. Exactly, exactly. So cool. All right. So, so I just want to you know that that's all I have um, for, for today. And um, I want to thank you for, for joining 
and um, putting, giving us a bit more insight into you know, who you are, the JCC. Um, we've made some interesting connections to nearshoring. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Appreciate it. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking again very soon. Sounds good to me. And thank you very much for this opportunity. It was very interesting. Thank All you. right. There you go. So uh, I'm going to, uh, I guess we're going to cut it at that. And uh, yeah, talk soon.